0: Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com/giving. Enjoy the podcast. So Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel for about 50 years. Uh, And the book that bears his name is filled with the prophetic word that the Lord gave him. And this man of God prophesied in the middle of the 8th century B.C. We're going to look together at these first three chapters, kind of peruse them a little bit. And the first uh, thing that we need to consider is Israel was unfaithful at this point. So God told uh, Hosea to marry an unfaithful woman as a picture of the spiritual lives of of god's people israel really this was one of those first illustrated sermons wasn't the only one that the, that the prophets put out and that the lord used but this is one of those and look at what hosea chapter 1 verse 2 says on your screen it says when the lord began to speak through hosea the lord said to him go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Wow, what a very uh, challenging and difficult word that the Lord gives to Hosea. And so verse 3 says this, and this really, first of all, that really is a picture of what the book is about. So verse 3, so he married Gomer, Gomer, all right, Uh, No, I'm not going to say anything. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu, because of what they did for the massacre at uh, Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day... I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Now that is significant. The bow, of course, that's their might, their armor, or that's their that's their uh, uh, that's their weapon that they use, their chief weapon. And God's saying, I'm going to break that. So now people say a lot of things about Hosea and Gomer because of the unusual thing that the Lord asked him to do. And most most scholars would say to you that uh, Gomer was not a harlot or a prostitute at the time that Hosea marries her, but expected that because God sees the future, that that was going to be the way way she went, although she may have been uh, weak in this area or bent this way a little. We really don't know. Uh, But yet God knew what this woman was going to be like, and uh, God had the prophet marry her anyway. And, And here's the thing. God knew Israel was going to be unfaithful, because he knows all things, and yet he was still, still willing to take a chance to share his love with them. If you, if you look at uh, today, God still reaches out to us, even knowing our own spiritual unfaithfulness. And that's why he sent Christ to give his life for you. And so I can, I can only imagine everyone's question to Hosea, oh, why did you marry her? Come on, man. Didn't you have an idea? What were you thinking? She was never the marrying kind. Why did you marry her? I don't know. And, and I'm sure they had some real, real questions for them. And so um, why would he decide that this group, uh, why would he just do that? We see God, if you look back at what God did uh, with the people of Israel, kind of started off that way, didn't it? Here God chooses this group of people who were slaves in Egypt, and he chooses them as his own, the people of Israel, and he calls them to be his people, his chosen people. And why did God choose a bunch of slaves like that? his business, right? We can probably speak to that a lot and take some time, but what was God thinking? Why would he decide to get this group of outsiders and bring them in to be his family and and then use them to make his name great in the whole world? Why didn't he choose Egypt? Why didn't he just choose them? Remember, they had money, they had power, all those pharaohs, they had anything they needed, and they weren't far from where the promised land was, so why didn't God just use them? They were in a great location there, and in our eyes, we may say, well, hey, that would have been great, God, but you didn't choose them. Then you could ask the question to Jesus, why did you choose the motley crew that you did to carry your gospel around the world? the reformed tax collector and and fishermen. Why would you choose fishermen? You know, those guys are tough. Why would you do that? The zealot at least. Why, Why did you, what were you thinking, Jesus? I'm sure we can ask those questions. Why didn't you choose the best, Jesus? You knew how things were going to end up and you still chose them. Maybe that is the point. God's view of life is not like ours. He's not limited to what we see. We we can't see all of his plan. He gives us snippets, yet uh, now let's look at what the first verse says here in Hosea, how it starts out. We skipped that on purpose. Uh, Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Ahaz. And Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So we know that first, that's Judah. That's one uh, kingdom, one side of this. And then during the reigns of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. So we have two kingdoms we're looking at here. So we have, we have Judah, we have Israel. And some may say, what in the world are we talking about? Well, that's the divided kingdom. If you study the Old Testament, you find something where Israel split up. And Israel had joined they had enjoyed a golden era in Solomon's reign and, uh, for four decades, and he built the, the temple in Jerusalem, and, or had it built. He didn't do it, but he had it built. And, and, and once he dies, somewhere around 922 BC, I don't know exact date, but something like that, Israel splits up into two kingdoms, and you have the southern kingdom called Judah, and you have the northern kingdom called Israel. And some of the prophets of this time, the contemporaries of Hosea, would people be people like Amos, be people like Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah. These guys, they're all prophesying at the same time, and they were prophesying to this divided kingdom, all split up. And the northern kingdom's capital was Samaria. If you if you read that in the scripture and. And they were finally overran by Assyria in 722 B.C. And you say, okay, enough of the history, Pastor Mike, but it's important. Jeroboam, the senior, he was, uh, he was the first king for the northern kingdom. And 130 years later, we find Jeroboam, Jr., if you want to call him that. They weren't father and son, but became king over Israel in the north. But both Israel and Judah enjoyed a time of, of prosperity. Uh, they had this time of prosperity before Israel was overtaken by Assyria, and both Jeruz, or Jeroboam Jr. of the north and Uzziah provided some stable reins. And I don't mean the ones on a horse. Okay, just making sure you know. Let's look at verse six together. Verse six: Gomer received again, or conceived again, and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, "Call her Lo rahama which means not love, for I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah and will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen. But I, I, but I the Lord their God, will save them. Verse 8. After she had weaned Lo-Rahma, Agomer had another son, uh, then the Lord said, call him Lo I me, which means not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. And he says in ver- verse 10, this is, this is a really important verse, he says, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. Verse 11 says, the people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. So when you you read this and you see this in the passage, uh, your heart goes out to Hosea's kids, right? They get some names. How would you like to have some of those names and be known, not loved, or or basically... uh, uh, God's turning his back on the person. and How would you like? It wouldn't be too nice. But God was using that as a statement, as an indictment to his people because they were serving and walking with false gods. And God was trying to correct them. And so here you have these not loved. And, and the meaning here for this is directly stated, God would no longer show love to Israel but would bring judgment on her. And no longer show love translates a phrase meaning literally no longer further to pursue with favor. So God would not extend favor any longer toward this rebellious people because they were rebelling. And thus the reason Israel had continued this long was simply that God had favored them and had mercy on them. He had favor on them. So the name Lo-Ami means not my people. And the significance of this is in the rest of the verse. And Israel was disowned by God as his people. Wow. He would no longer be their God. And the the reason is in verse 2. And the people had departed from the Lord in faithfulness because they were going after other gods. And Lo Ami is harsher in meaning that the name of the second child, that name, Lo Rahmah, spoke of not being loved, but Lo Ami uh, uh, speaks of being fully disowned by God. But you can't stop there. Here's the thing if we stop there, then we think, oh, hey, there's no hope. But there is hope because there's something you have to look at in, in verses 10 and 11 there. God was not only going, not only looking to the future outcome of Israel, what they would face, but he was also looking to the promise that he had made to Abraham. Back in the book of Genesis, you can write it down for yourself in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which can't be measured or counted. And that was God's covenant, and he will fulfill it. There is still hope. There is still hope, and that covenant stands today. There is still hope. There's a guy named Craig Randall. He drove a garbage truck in, in Peabody, Massachusetts. I was told in early service that i was supposed to be Peabody or something or other. I'm not from I'm not from Massachusetts, by the way. I was born in Kansas, so I can't I can't do that. So tomato, tomato. Whatever, potato, potato. Okay, so this guy was, a, Mr. Randall was a garbage collector, and he did that, of course, every day. And, and he, at one point, he had looked in, and he saw a, uh, one of those Wendy's cups. I've probably told you the story before. You know how Wendy's or McDonald's, they'll put those little uh, little contests uh, on. And so he had some of those, and he, he saw one down there. He's got a free hamburger before, not out of the trash, but out of, you know, what? you get what I mean. And so he, he pulls the thing off thinking, hey, I may get a free pop. And what does he get out of that? He wins $200,000 toward a new house. Pretty cool, huh? I'd build me a new house too and a new car. Garage. No, yeah, garage. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so here this guy is. He, 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 he's got this. It's kind of what do we get out of life? Depends a lot on what we look for. Are we more likely to see experience as trash or maybe a potential treasure? God saw treasure in his people, even though at times he corrected them when they were unfaithful. And even then, there is still that promise of hope. Sometimes people lose hope because they think, They think that I've messed up so bad that God won't have anything to do with me. That's why Jesus came. He came so that we could be in right relationship with God and have that relationship restored. There is still hope, and there is still hope for each one of us if we look to him. If we're willing to turn towards God, he is willing to turn towards us and to work in our lives. Second thing here is is that Israel was going to be punished, uh, and then later on they would be restored, we see. So in the second chapter here, they face the repercussions for their unfaithfulness. Look with me in Hosea chapter 2, verse 1 here, and it says, Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. He is saying something very specific here. He's talking to the people of Israel. And he's saying, I will embarrass Israel and shame you in front of everyone in the stage of this world. That's what he was saying. Then he says, I will make her like a desert and turn her into a parched land and, lay her, and slay her with thirst. So Israel is the adulterous spouse we see here in this passage. and As Hosea is telling God's people in, in the good times that they are living in spiritual adultery because things have been good for them. But if they don't make a change to turn back to God, he will embarrass the whole nation on the stage of the world. You have to remember that the prophets of the Old Testament were not mean. When you go back and you read through some of them, uh, it may seem like they're stern and they're rough, but honestly, they were giving a message from God so that people would turn back to Him. Sometimes people think that, that, uh, that, that grace is only for the New Testament. Actually, grace started long before the New Testament. And God had mercy on people, but he also required something of them. And, And we see that God was really simply wanting them to turn back to himself. That's what his goal was. God directs Hosea to say, well, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. What he's talking about, Israel at this point, his people... How many people have had God block their lives with thorn bushes simply because they've not been willing to acknowledge Him? That's, that's food for thought for us as followers of Jesus. Look at, what, look at God's words here in Hosea chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and the gold, which they used for Baal which they use for false gods. Here, here God is, uh, is the one providing for them, and they end up using what God has provided to end up worship, worshiping these false gods of Baal. And that's appalling to God. That really, that's a slap in the face to Him. And really, it's not any different today. And then in chapter 2, verse 13, the Lord says this, He says, I will punish her for the day she's burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Have you you forgotten God and need to turn your way back to him? If you have, remember he is willing to receive you. And like he was willing to receive Israel, who was living in spiritual adultery at that time. How do we know that? All you have to do is read chapter 2, verse 23 as well. And he says there in verse 23, he says, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people... You are my people, and they will say, You are my God. This here is a blessing of Israel. God calls them back to Himself just as He calls you back. He calls each and every one of us to Himself. There is a blessing in repentance. We don't use the term as much. Sometimes one reason is the type of word, it's a big word, not everybody knows. It's kind of like apostasy, right? And but repentance is basically turning from one thing to another. But we understand that in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says this. If you uh, look look at the crux of this verse, it says God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. There's a guy named Patrick M. Morley. He wrote a book called I Surrender. And in that book, he writes this. He says the church's integrity problem is in the misconception that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. It is a a change in belief without a change in behavior. It's a revival without reformation, without repentance. So the Lord challenges us not only to put our faith and put our trust in Him, but once we put our faith and our trust in Him, it causes us to be able to turn away from how we were before and look to Him and allow Him to work in our lives. There is a blessing from God when we choose to turn our lives over to him fully. Even in the Old Testament, that was his desire, to see his people turn to him because he loves them. And he loves us today. Then we see finally that Hosea reconciles with his wife. Basically, he buys her back. It's a different time in the world. Uh, We're talking years ago, and, and she sold it. Uh, evidently sold into a prostitution and, and uh, he buys her pa- back which is really is a picture of, of what Christ has done for us. Gomer was loved again. Look at chapter 3 here with me in verses 1 to 3. It says this, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. That was part of their offering that they would give to them. So he says in verse 2, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a leaf of barley. That's about 430 pounds, you know, 60, I can't remember the weights on it, somewhere around 60 pounds, a bushel or something like that, it varies uh, but, but we're seeing he spent a lot of money getting her back and then it says then i told her you are to live with me many days and you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and i will be beha- and i will behave the same towards you verse one here it shows god's choice to love israel even though they were promiscuous he chose to love them even though they were walking in sin, following these false gods, giving up the, these sacrifices and offerings. But God shows God his love in redemption. It's a great picture of what Christ came to do for us. Jesus did for us something wonderful to show God's love by purchasing us back through the cross Israel, we understand, ultimately will come, uh, come to repentance. Uh, in verse 5, he says, the Lord says, afterward the Israelites will return and seek the Lord. We still have that hope as well. He was calling not only Israel towards repentance, but he is calling us today to turn towards him in faith. Hosea's message was that of hope. It was that of hope, and Christ came to bring us hope, and that hope was purchased before you ever even considered placing your faith in Christ. The, the Word of God tells us, and the Apostle Paul says... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for just all the good people, those who were living out the way they were supposed to. He died for everybody. No matter how bad, no matter how horrible that person was, Jesus gave his life for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ came to bring us hope. He came to give us life. And we understand that hope can be yours if you will look to Christ in faith. We have to look to him. We have to place our faith in him. We can't put our faith in every other thing around us. There are so many things that we can look to in this world to try to get hope, to try to make it through to the next day. We can try them and they will fail. And we can try them and maybe some of them work for a while. I'm assuming that's why some of the Israelites at that time worshipped other gods. Maybe the enemy of our souls figured out a way to be able to assist them. That didn't mean it was right. That didn't mean it was God, that was God's will. There is blessing for us in repentance. As Paul said, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You have to look to Christ in faith, trusting that what he did on the cross was enough. It was sufficient. So many times we try to bring in other things and say, you know, well, if I do this or I do that, then, then God can accept me. Friends, it, the, the, the facts are the facts. It's by grace that we live. We've been forgiven by faith in Christ and what he did on the cross. It's the work that he did for us. It's not even our repentance in itself, but our repentance comes out of the faithfulness of God because we trust in what Christ has done, and so we choose to turn and follow him. He has a plan for us. He has a plan for you. you. Turn towards him and turn away from those things that have pulled you away from him. Don't we like God's people who had acknowledged, who had not acknowledged that God was the one who gave them the things they needed to live. And then they turned around and used them for Baal. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to take this time we're going to prayer our prayer teams are going to come forward here our worship team is going to lead us in this last song together as we worship the lord let's not waste the gift that god has offered to us have you ever got one of those gifts it seems like oh that doesn't really matter or, it's something maybe you could just set off to the side or something the gift of Christ and what he shed the blood that he shed on the cross was a gift that has is of great value do not toss that to the side there is no better gift than what he has given for you jesus gave his life on the cross so that you could have hope and live this life in faith and in truth and in faithfulness This morning, if you have ignored that gift, maybe you once had that gift and you maybe have become apostate, as the scripture would say, and you've kind of turned on that and turned away from that, I dare to say the Lord is calling you back to that place of faith again to trust Him. And here in this place, with every head bowed and eyes closed as we seek the Lord together, that may be you here in this place. You say, that's me, Pastor Mike. I want to turn my faith back to Christ. If that's you, would you, between you and me and the Lord, would you just lift your hand and say, that is me. I see that. Are there any others? I see that. Are there others? I see that. Are others? Let's pray. If you raise your hand, just pray out of your heart and say, God, here I am. I, I, I put my faith in you this morning. I put my trust in you. And I'm going to turn away from my old life and turn to you in faith. I recognize that you gave your life for my life. Just say that prayer in your heart to the Lord, however you want to say it. You don't have to say it exactly like I did. Now I want to pray for the rest of us here this morning. Father God, I remember what Isaiah said. He said, a Man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Lord, he was saying, We are all sinners, we've all messed up, and we need you. We recognize our need for you. Now, Father, I understand what tells us that so once we come to faith, we're called saints. We've been set apart for your kingdom. But Father, the fact is, is we realize we have all failed you at one place or in the other. And Father God, this morning we turn to you with humble hearts, recognizing that you are the Lord. And we need that redemption that you have provided for us at the cross. And Father, we give ourselves fully to you. And we ask you to work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.